was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Nevertheless, she persisted. Now, some of you may recall that this became a new battle cry for the women's movement two years ago when a U.S. Senate confirmation committee attempted to silence Elizabeth Warren at their meeting during which she raised strenuous objections to the moral character and voting record of the then nominee for U.S. Attorney General. She was severely criticized at the time by the majority leader of the Senate who couldn't understand why she couldn't just clam up when she'd been told to. Nevertheless, she persisted, he complained, providing a slogan that still resonates among feminists and others all around the world. These days, Greta Thunberg, whose crusade to raise our collective consciousness about the disastrous effects of climate change, has prompted many to try to silence her as well. Nevertheless, she has persisted. In Hong Kong, protesters marched to preserve and extend their human rights despite increasing threats to their safety. Nevertheless, they have persisted. In each of these cases, their persistence is fueled by the frustration they feel as a result of not being listened to. And each of us, I'm sure, can identify in our own way with their predicament. Whether it's a boss, politicians, a cable company representative, a doctor, even a member of the clergy sometimes, we have all experienced the acute irritation associated with not being heard. Our natural reaction at that point, of course, is to complain to whomever will listen, a friend, colleague, a family member. And while no one really wants to be around a constant whiner, psychologists tell us that there is such a thing as constructive wallowing. Occasions when we express our overwhelming irritation and our deepest hurts in the hope that by doing so, we might prevent that steady drip of negativity from poisoning the rest of our lives, which is what happens when we leave our feelings bottled up. That sounds very sensible, doesn't it? But what about when the one whom we think isn't listening is God? Then what do we do? Well, if we want to be true to our Jewish roots, we do the very same thing anyway. We complain directly to God. In our rather muscular British Christian tradition, there is a tendency towards a stiff upper lip kind of spirituality. Pain builds character and that sort of thing. In our public and our private prayer, we are excellent at praising God, telling God that we are sorry, asking him for stuff, and then thanking him, just like we did so well last week. But we rarely think of complaining to him as a form of prayer, despite the fact that of the 150 psalms that we sing and recite throughout the year, the most common, 50 of them, in fact, are actually described as psalms of complaint. Psalm 10, for example, begins with the words, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, 
How long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 109. I praise you, God, so don't remain silent. Like the rest of his countrymen, this incredibly honest, prayerful complaining was something that Jesus himself was immersed in. And I think that's the background we need to have if we are going to derive any benefit whatsoever from today's somewhat strange gospel that features a complaining widow and a judge who simply refuses to listen. I think we can all agree that Jesus was one of the greatest storytellers of all time, and this morning's brief story demonstrates that fact perfectly. In this little jewel of an episode, he chooses a widow as the star of the show. And why is that? Because if you're going to create a character who will represent all of us who feel that we are not being listened to, there is no one better than a widow in first century Israel. We have to remember that women rarely appeared in Jewish courts. The law was entirely a man's game. If a woman had a case, a man generally spoke for her. And so a widow who had no male relative to act on her behalf, as seems to be the case in this morning's story, well, she was very desperate indeed. The law made it very easy to ignore her and her rights, and Jesus understood that. He also knew that his first listeners would have grasped that the Hebrew word for widow actually had its roots in the Hebrew word for voiceless. And that was a link Jesus wanted them to make. Because voiceless is exactly what this widow refused to be. However the system was stacked against her, our widow this morning reaches down into the very depths of her emotional reserves And although the judge obstinately refused to hear her case, nevertheless, she persisted. Even the great silences that she had encountered during her ordeal, those impenetrable silences into which she had thrown her complaint, they were no obstacle for her. Relentlessly, she kept on making her needs known. And so relentless was she that she finally wore the judge down and he gave her the justice she deserved, probably at some cost to himself, certainly damaging his relationship with the unnamed power broker who had been able to hold the widow at bay for so very long. But what about the widow herself? By repeating her complaint over and over and over again, she was reminding herself of who she was. She was grasping the dignity that was hers as a daughter of Israel who deserved to be heard. And no one, no one was going to take that away from her. The very process of complaining was as important to her as was the judgment that she finally won in her favor. So what has this story got to do with prayer and Jesus' fear that he may not find faith when he returns? Well, to understand that connection, I think we have to return to our Jewish roots once more and those psalms of complaint that I mentioned earlier. Now, as I said, none of us likes a complainer. We really don't like to be in their company, and we certainly don't don't enjoy being on the receiving end of the complaint. 
But I think that's because we modern folk tend to think of the complaint as an end in and of itself. We become so used to the fact that the boss or the cable company or the politician doesn't really take our concerns seriously that we simply live with not being heard and we brood over the dissatisfaction. But our Jewish spiritual ancestors, they didn't see complaining that way at all. Although their psalms of complaint always begin with grumbling and even accusations against God, they always end with an expression of trust. Think of Jesus' own last words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus' cry, welling up from a broken heart, quotes the very first sentence of Psalm 22, the most bitter of all of the psalms of complaint. What we do not hear, but would have been in Jesus' heart and mind in that most dreadful moment, were the last verses of that same psalm. Before God shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. In the end, Jesus could complain to his God because he knew that wasn't the end of it. After a lifetime of familiar conversation with his father, he trusted him, even in that darkest hour when there was absolutely no certainty that there would be a resurrection three days hence. Nevertheless, he persisted, believing that his father would act just as he had always acted in the past. It was that intimate relationship with God, cultivated over 33 years, that helped him find his voice, even a voice of bitter complaint when he needed it most. It's this honest, authentic faith that Jesus hopes he will find when he comes. A maturity of faith among us who struggle daily with the uncertainties of life, with all of its injustices, with all of its disappointments, and with all of its nasty surprises. Jesus comes hoping that he's going to find us imitating him by feeling so much at home with our Father that we can question, we can protest, rail against, and even accuse him at times always confident that our God is listening, supplying our needs in ways that are both seen and unseen, expected and unexpected. It is a faith that is thankful when our prayers are answered just as we like, and it is even more thankful when we receive the grace that we need to endure the trials that come our way when they are not. Jesus' point, I think, is this. If through her persistence, the widow in today's story obtained what she needed from an unjust judge who couldn't have cared less about her, how much more will we receive what we truly need from the one who created, sustains, and always loves us? For Jesus, in the end, prayer comes down to trust. And that trust grows through the hard work of persistent prayer. That includes what we do here every single Sunday, of course, but it's also the honest conversations that we have with God when we leave this place, perhaps especially when we leave this place. When we're on the subway, in the car, in the office, in the classroom, in the doctor's waiting room, 
in the procedure room, lying in bed. Developing a rapport with a loving God who wants us to feel comfortable to bring anything to him, even our darkness. Who, like any close friend, allows us to vent and complain bitterly and even bears the brunt of our anger and our frustration at times. Jesus' hope when he comes is that our faith will, of course, find its expression in praise and wonder and awe and thanks, but also when we argue with God, as did Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Job. It's a mature faith that even wrestles with God at times, as Jacob did in this morning's first lesson. Jesus' hope is that until he comes, we will continue in the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers, so that when he comes, he may look at us and say, well done, good and faithful friend. When things were good and you could have gone alone without me, and when things were bad and you were tempted to give up on me, when the silences into which you cast your prayers could have overwhelmed you, nevertheless, you persisted. Nevertheless, we persisted together. Amen.